Humility can be something <clears throat> excuse me, that's difficult for us to, uh, and it's difficult attitude for us to have. And it can be also something that's very difficult for us to actually do it, to demonstrate humility in our lives. I was thinking about this and uh, uh, thinking back, some of you who may be my age uh, might remember a song uh, from uh, the early 1980s by Mac Davis. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. Does anyone remember? Does anyone remember that one? Oh, okay, there's not many. Oh my. Okay, so the, I'm not, I'm not going to sing it for you. Um, but but it, the, the chorus goes, and it's it's a humorous song. Okay, it's a it's so when you get home, you can go and you can Google it and you can watch it. It's it's a funny song. But they it, the, the chorus goes, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way as I am, or something something like that. So the first the first line is a good one. Yes, it is hard to be humble. Uh, the second one, um, none of us are perfect. So that's that's maybe not the the best way to look at it, but. It is. It's hard to be humble. You know, you have to, sometimes you have to humble yourself. And, you know, one of those times when, when I had to do that and, and I was uh, a little bit uncomfortable was when, uh, when we were in Zambia and I had to meet uh, one of the, the tribal chiefs. And I didn't have to do this uh, when I, uh, until I'd been in Zambia a little while, and, but I'd heard about it. And what, basically what you had to do is when you met them, you had to go down on your knees when you were meeting them. So you had to kneel before them. And I was a little uncomfortable when I heard that because I thought this is like you're worshipping them. And as I got to know the culture a little bit more, I realized uh, it, was, it was more of a sign of respect than worship. They weren't looking for you to, uh, uh, to worship them at all. Uh, maybe traditionally, in traditional, uh, a very traditional settings it would have been, but uh, certainly not in, in today's day and age. But you still I had to get down to kneel them, kneel before them uh, when you greeted them. And so one time I was uh, meeting one of the chiefs. I'd gone uh, specifically to meet uh, one, and it was someone who I'd known for a number of years before I'd actually, uh, before he'd actually become chief. And so when I went to, when when me and the the couple others I was with, when we went to uh, to meet him, uh, we got down on our knees, and and it was very interesting because he he sort of looked at us and he said, "Don't do that. Get up. Get up," uh, which was very very kind of him. But when we actually went in to meet him, uh, and we went into the room to meet him, he was he was sitting there on a on a regular chair, and then the rest of us had these little chairs that we sat in because we had to be in the right position. We had to be down low, and so I you know I understood all of that, uh, the, you know that this was a, a sign of respect and recognizing his position, but still it was a little uncomfortable because. We don't like to be humble. We like to be equal. We, you know, it was like, well, I, I've known this man for years and, you know, we're just the same. And so it was a bit of a struggle uh, to, uh, uh, to actually uh, put myself in that sort of humble position. We struggle with that. Putting ourselves and, and making ourselves humble. We don't want to think of ourselves as somewhat less than other people or uh, even God, perhaps. That we're all equals. We're all on the same footing. God is my friend. He is my, my buddy. He is my companion. And we forget that He is more than that. 
and we need to humble ourselves before God. We've been looking for the last uh, few, uh, last couple of times I've been speaking here at Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and today we'll finish that up if you hadn't caught on already, and most of you had. This was a three part series, and this is our verse. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. These three responses are what God requires of us, what God wants from us. We are to act justly. We are to love mercy. And today, I want us to talk about what it means to walk humbly with our God. The first one focuses really on our relationship. When we talk about acting justly, it focuses on our relationships with others around us. How do we relate to others? We show justice to them. That's what we need to do. The second one impacts our relationships with others. We show mercy, but then we also receive mercy from God. And so it's got the two dimensions in it. It talks about our relationship with others as well as our relationship with God. Today, the third here is focused entirely on God, walking humbly with God. It talks specifically about our relationship with God and what it should look like. And it tells us that we are to clearly to walk humbly with our God. Now, when we look at our Bibles, we see that they talk about all kinds of things. Our Bible talks about all kinds of different topics, all kinds of different issues that we face in our life. One is love. For instance, God's love, our love that we have for one another, our love we have for God. A simple search of the New Testament simply on its own comes up with 200 occurrences of the word love. And so that's a, 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 a dominant theme in our Bibles. The Bible also has a lot to say about humility and being humble. When you search for humble and humility and the different, uh, the different forms of that word, you find it happens, it occurs about 40 times or more in the New Testament. And when we look, when we look at it, when we look at that word, it's clear that the idea is we are always to be humble. Never do we see pride being exalted or raised up by God. The Word of God is consistent in, a, in that He wants us to be humble. So when we look at Micah chapter 6, 8, we see that word humble in there. And it's encouraging us to walk humbly with our God. We are to walk humbly with our God. And so the Bible has a bit to say about this. And so we see in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 to 13, when we look at this and we say, what does it mean to walk humbly with our God? We see... Deuteronomy chapter 10 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. But you see, you see in that passage there, we walk in obedience to Him. And when he says that we are to walk in obedience to God, that word walk is the same one that's in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, that we walk with God. We walk humbly with our God. 
And so we see this is a, a clear idea coming at us in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and also when we look back a little further in Deuteronomy chapter 5. It says, So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. So again, this idea of walking in obedience, of walking humbly with God, is there, not just in Micah 6.8, but right back even in Deuteronomy. Walking humbly with God is something that He wants us to do. But what does it mean to walk humbly with God? And that's what these passages are, are trying to explain to us. It's to walk in obedience to Him. It means that we walk along through our lives. We walk with God doing what He wants us to do. Answering to Him. And saying, yes God, I'm going to do what you, what you have asked me to do. It means living out the way that He has instructed us doing the things that He has asked us to do. Hopefully, as a Christ follower, we want to live the way God wants us to live, but it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes we go our own way and we know when we think about our own lives that that is something that happens. Living the way that God wants us to is, uh, might sound fairly easy and straightforward, but it's not always easy to put into practice in our life. Sometimes, in reality, it's difficult to walk in obedience to God. So we see when we think about this, we see that we come up to some problems as we actually try and do this. As we actually try and walk in obedience and walk humbly with God, we see some problems. The first problem that we see is actually what are God's commands for us? What is it that that we are, should be doing. When we stop and we say, okay, I'm going to walk humbly with God. I'm going to walk in obedience to Him. What exactly does He want me to do? What are God's commands? By some counts, the Bible has, and the, this is a, uh, a figure that the Jews used, with something like 613 different commands in the Bible. And so maybe that's what we're to do, is to learn all of those 613 things that, that the Bible tells us that we should be doing and follow all of those. But we run up into some problems pretty quickly when we try and do that. When we say, okay, that's what I'm going to do. That's how I'm going to walk humbly with God. I'm going to keep all 613 of these commands. We run into some problems fairly quickly. Those, those laws are from the Old Testament and they're for the Jews. And we are people of the New Covenant. And so maybe we say some of those don't apply. And we can look and we can point at some of those commands and we can say we don't have priests running around in their priestly garments today. We aren't bringing animals into the worship place and slaughtering them here on the altar and we're not sprinkling the people with the blood of the sacrifices. And so we say, okay, some of those don't seem to apply to us today. And so we, we continue to, to struggle with this and to think about it. What are God's commands to us? We might try and boil it down and, and simplify it and say, well, let, me, let me just see if I can find uh, some 
simple way. Maybe just a couple of things. And we can look and we can look at Jesus and He kind of boils it down when He's pressed uh, into it and, and He boils it down and He says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Perhaps love trumps all, to use a, a, a term that's floating around these days. But we're still left with a bit of a dilemma. What does it look like? That, uh, what does loving God look like to us? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to demonstrate that love for God? Is it enough that we have that warm, fuzzy feeling that we call love? And we say, yeah, I love God. And we, we, we feel good and we have that, like I say, we have that warm fuzziness inside of us. And so we're all good. We love God. I love my neighbor. And that's enough. But there's the aspect of it that says we also need to act. That our love should move us to some kind of action. Our love, the word that we think of when we say love, it should be moving us to, some, to be doing something, acting in a certain way. You know, you might say that you love something, but then your actions don't show it. And you think of that home where things aren't so good. And the guy comes home and every time he comes home and he's had a little bit too much to drink, he beats his wife, but at the same time he says he loves her. What do we say when we look at that situation? We say, it doesn't look to me like you love her. You're not showing it. You might be saying the words, but there seems to be something missing in that equation. We're, we're evaluating the word next to the actions. We say your, your actions should match your words. If you love somebody, you wouldn't do that sort of thing to them. And so it means you can't love them. Or maybe your ideas of love are a little distorted. God is no different. If we say that we love Him, we should show it in our actions. And Jesus actually sums this up nicely for us. And he says, quite simply, if you love me, keep my commands. There's no great mystery here. There isn't any, any serious uh, theological problem or Bible interpretation questions that we have to answer to uh, really derive the meaning of this passage. Jesus just lays it out there plain and clear. If you love me, keep my commands. There's something in our relationship with God that Jesus identifies here, that ties what we do and our obedience to His commands to the love that we have for Him. It's not enough. He's saying it's not enough that you feel the warm fuzzies towards Me. You've got to show it in your life. You've got to do it. You've got to keep My commands. If you really loved Me, you would do what I asked you to do. It's pretty straightforward. And so, after all that thinking and looking and saying maybe it's about love, we end up back at keeping His commands. We can look to the Ten Commandments for sure. And when we go back to, uh, when we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and 32 and 33, when we look at the context of this, this passage, this passage is coming to us just after the Ten Commandments. 
And so we have, if you, if you looked in, in Deuteronomy uh, just before this passage, you would see that, we, that, that the Ten Commandments are given and then he goes on, the Lord goes on to say, uh, through Moses, he goes on to say, so be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience. So he tells us what we should do and then he reminds us that we are to do these things. It's not enough just to know these Ten Commandments, but to do them. And so, we're, so then we're left wrestling again with what does the Bible command us to do? Through uh, God's Word, what is He telling us to do? And we can look at the Ten Commandments, but we wrestle with those too. God says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. And certainly what's happened this week in London, England, we look and we can condemn that and we can say that's murder. And that's easy. But what about the beginning and end of life decisions that we sometimes are called to make? What do we say about abortion or medical assistance in dying? Do we understand that when he says you shall not murder, that that's upholding the sanctity of all life? And so again, it's not easy because some of those decisions that we make and that we're forced to make and that come up to us as we go through life are difficult ones. We maybe look at the Ten Commandments and we see it says you shall not steal, which seems very simple, but then we find ways to hide our income from the government because somehow we have decided that they don't deserve it, that they don't deserve their portion. It's mine. And so we justify in our minds and we think it's not, it's not stealing, but it was mine in the first place, so I'm just keeping what's mine. And maybe as we're looking at the Ten Commandments, we find that somehow we trample on the Sabbath. Thinking that Jesus saying the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath, means we can disregard this altogether. And on this one, I'm probably one of the worst ones on this, on this point. I'm probably one of the worst offenders in finding that Sabbath time, that taking that time of rest and, and just stepping away from everything and taking that day of rest. And God has commanded us to do that. And yet we find it hard. We find it very difficult to do what God has asked us to. Okay, so I'm not trying to make us all feel really guilty about this. Um, even though maybe I did. Sorry about that. But that wasn't, that wasn't my point. But my point is that walking in obedience is hard. It really is. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try, but it's hard to do that. It's something that we're learning to do as we go through life day by day. And often we don't do too well at it, but we need to learn and keep striving and keep trying to do that. Trying to walk in obedience to God. So we have this problem. Our problem is that we say, what are God's commands? The solution to that problem is, as it always has been, we study the Scriptures in order to obey. And that obedience is an act of humility to God. That's what God wants us to do. If we truly want to walk humbly with God, we first of all need to seriously examine what God's Word tells us and then discern how to apply that to our lives. Obedience is that act of humility that we need to practice. The second problem that we come up with is we like to lead. We are to walk humbly with our God. 
And that implies to us that we're letting Him lead, but instead we like to lead. Normally we like to lead. We're strong, thoughtful, intelligent, independent people. We value our self-determination. And so we push God aside and we say, sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously, we say, I'm in charge. I'm leading. I know where I'm going. I know where I want to get to. And so I'm going to take myself there. But that can be a problem because we like to lead and yet it's God who should be leading. You know, I'm reminded of, uh, of people walking dogs. You know, we don't, we don't have a dog, but, you know, we live down in, in New West and we live on the quay and there and there's a beautiful boardwalk that we often go out to walk. And you see lots of people out walking their dogs pretty much no matter what time of day or night you go out there. You'll see people out there with their dogs. Some of them, it's very interesting, they'll be, they'll be walking their dog and uh, the dog will be, you know, sort of at their heels and walking quietly beside them. And when they stop, the dog will just sit there quietly. And sometimes you see it looks more like the dog is walking the human and the dog is in charge and the dog is moving out ahead. How many of you have dogs like that? The, the, dog, the dog runs ahead and the dog pulls you along. And it's the dog leading and not you. Sometimes that's the way it is with our relationship with God. We're joined together with God, kind of like that leash that connects us to the dog. Uh, Did you notice that dog and God are... What is that? What's that? D-O-G and G-O-D? That's that's an aside. That's a freebie for you today. Um, Okay, where was I? Um, it's like our relationship with God, right? Who's in charge? Who's, who's in control of this? Sometimes we fight God and we charge ahead of Him and we're, we seem to be pulling Him along and He's, he's trying to hold us back. And, and we, we don't want to be uh, held back. We want to lead. Maybe sometimes we do walk quietly. We let God guiding us, let God guide us to the best place. But often we like to lead because it's scary when we put God in charge and we walk humbly with Him. We feel like we're out of control. And that's one of the things we like in our life is control. We're afraid because we don't know where God is going to lead us. We don't really know where He's going and how we're going to get there. And that's hard for us because we like to lead. Rick Warren, in talking about this, he put it, I think he put it very well when he says, we often have two responses when we we face an out-of-control situation. And he said, for some of you, the more out-of-control your life gets, the harder you try to control it. Some of you do the exact opposite. You uh, You just give up. You have a pity party and invite yourself to it. I would go further and say, I don't think these are the responses just in out-of-control situations. These might be responses that we have pretty much all the time. Either we're trying hard to control our life or we just say, my life is out of control and I just give up. And I don't even try. So the question is, are we really willing to be humble before God? Let Him lead and direct and care for us. Are we willing to let God lead when it comes to our finances to say to God, I will seek to know your will for how much I should be giving? Or do we just look at what we have left at the end of the month, at the end of the week, and 
and give God that. And if there's nothing left, we say, sorry, God, there was nothing left for you. Are we willing to let God lead when it comes to our kids to give them over to God and say, God, these children are yours? And you're a better parent than I could ever be. You love them more than I could ever love them. And so I'm entrusting them to you and entrusting you to uh, give me the strength and wisdom that I need to be a good parent to them. And so I give my kids to you, God. These are some of the challenges that we can face as we try and give up uh, the lead in our lives. Maybe you've seen this illustration at times, and this is, a, this is a helpful one. And the idea is who's on the throne of your life, and the S there is an S for self. And you've got all these issues around you, and you're trying to deal with them. You're on the throne of, of your own life. And then the suggestion is that what you need to do is to take that cross and put it on the throne. Put Jesus on the throne of your life. Take yourself off the throne. Let Him be in charge of your life. Let Him deal with the issues that we're having. Let Him deal with the things that are going on in our life. And put yourself off to the side. And that's kind of what uh, God wants us to do. It's what we need to do. We shouldn't be wanting to lead, but instead, instead of wanting to lead, we need to take a step of faith and give up control of our lives and let God lead. You know that saying, let go and let God. That's the idea behind that is we are giving up our a control of our lives. We're saying, I'm, no longer in, I'm not in charge of my life, God. You are. You are. And you know, for some people, that means letting go just a little at a time. And that's a, that's a good, that's a helpful way to try. Let go of something. Give God something. And watch what He does. And when you see that God actually is effective in taking control of that, then it gives you that courage, it gives you that faith to let go a little bit more. And as you do that, you realize that, that actually things are working out pretty well and you can let God uh, give Him a little bit more. Sometimes some people are really brave and they can let go of everything all at once and just say, here it is, God, it's all yours. That's pretty challenging. But sometimes we can do that. But that's a challenge for us is to uh, give up leading and letting God take control. Then the third problem that we can face as we try and walk humbly with our God is we actually give up walking. Note that Micah says we are to walk humbly with our God. That means we're moving. We're going in some direction. We're not just sitting and doing nothing, but that we're actually going and moving and headed somewhere. We're not sitting on the sidelines watching life pass us by, but we are actually active in that. And so the problem is that we, we give up walking. Some people take that approach to life. It almost seems like they've checked out of life and they're just sitting still. As I was talking with my mentor about this just uh, the last time we met, he challenged me and he said, do you really think people just sit still? He says, I don't think they do. You're either moving ahead with God or you're slipping behind. That there really is no sitting still. And I think it's, he's probably true. It's, he's probably right in that. Is it possible to sit still? Maybe not. But we can give up walking. We can give up walking. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, one of my favorite passages says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12.1 exhorts us, encourages us, pushes us to run that race with perseverance. And that race is, is our life. Not giving up, but keep on running, keep on going with our eyes fixed clearly on Jesus. So sometimes we might slow down. Sometimes we might get a little bit discouraged. Sometimes we might get a little bit off course, but we keep our eyes focused on Jesus and we keep heading towards Him. And that's what, it's, uh, what we should be doing. We don't give up walking and sit down, but we keep moving. We run with perseverance, that race, without, uh, that race that's set before us. We, we run our own race. It's the race marked out for us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. I think one of the things that happens to us is we don't uh, run the race that's marked out for us, but we start looking around. And we start looking at the race someone else is running. And we say, I wish I was running that race. That race looks like more fun than I'm having. That race looks easier. That race looks better than I'm. Or maybe they, you're looking at the other runners and you're saying, that person is running the race much better than I am. And so we get discouraged. We, try, we, we tend to give up. Maybe we feel like we don't have anything to offer God and running my race is just not worthwhile. But that's dangerous ground and we shouldn't go there. Jesus wants us to run our race and He wants us to run the race that's been marked out for us. Not looking at others, not looking at, at the other people that are running their races, not looking at the other races that are going on, but focusing our eyes on Him. Isn't it interesting that we fix our eyes, he says, we fix our eyes on Jesus. When we fix our eyes on something, it means we look at that and that alone. And what are we looking at? We're looking at Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Because we might think that somehow God is disappointed in the way we're running our race. And yet he's saying, fix your eyes on Jesus, on God himself as we're running this race. Why? Because Jesus is there cheering us on. He's not there condemning us and saying, why are you doing this and why aren't you doing that? And how come you're not running fast enough? And how come you're not doing this? And how come you're not doing that? He's there cheering us on. That's why we keep our eyes on Him. Because that's our goal. And so when we look for encouragement, we look to Jesus and we focus on Him. And so we don't give up running the race. We get up and we get going. We keep going in our race. Don't worry about what other people's race is, but just focus on ours and keep running. And so we need to be walking humbly with God and keep going. Keep walking. Now, this passage in Micah 6.8 is talking about walking humbly with our God, but it also needs to be said uh, just quickly here that even though this passage is about walking humbly before God, uh, we also need to be humble before others because that's what God has called us to do. 
So even though this passage strictly isn't talking about our relation, humility in our relationship with others, the Bible talks about us being uh, uh, humble before others as well. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So, <coughs> so he's talking about our relationship with others, having humility in our relationship with others. This is part of what God wants us to do. So this is something we need to pay attention to. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5 to 7 says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. So there's walking humbly before our God, and that means that we are obedient to God, but then it also means uh, that we are, paying, it means we are paying attention to God's Word, and God's Word tells us that we are to be humble towards one another. So by extension, we can see walking humbly before our God means we are walking humbly with everybody in this world. So walking humbly is not easy. It's not an easy thing. It's not something that we really enjoy doing. But how do we walk humbly with God? It's not easy for us. But we need to obey. Obeying is an important part of it. Accepting the Bible as God's instructions for us. Searching the Scriptures. Learning what God wants us to do. And the most difficult part, applying it to our lives. That's what walking in humility with God means. It means we let God lead, get out of the way, put ourselves aside and let God lead. And we stay in the race. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. But stay in the race. Stay in the race doing what God has called us to. So Micah challenges us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with, these God, with our God. These three things are not always easy for us to do, but it's what God has asked us to do. And so we need to pray to God to help us do these things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for all that it teaches us and all the instructions it gives us. And Lord, as we come and as we think about acting justly and loving mercy and walking humbly with You, we pray that You would help us to do these things. Help us to have that humility that comes from You and from Your Spirit that lives in us. Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to be humble servants, humble before You and humble uh, before others around us as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.